Hey, and welcome back to Media Pit. So what I decided to do for today is that I'm going to talk about my first couple of hours of experiencing From Software's new game called Elden Ring. I've been playing this game for about 15 hours in total, I think. And you can probably tell by that that I don't really indulge in video games that much. In the past, I've been playing video games a pretty decent amount of time, maybe like two or three hours a day. But that has drastically changed in yeah, me growing up and I think for the last one year and a half I've been only playing video games very sporadically and not that regularly. So this makes playing Elden Ring even more fun for me because yeah, playing video games is just not a thing that I, that I really get to do that often. And when I do it's always super super fun. And I've played this game for a total of 15 hours which I know compared to probably any other person who's played this game is like nothing. And I know I've only scratched the surface of like the early game, <laughs> but yeah, I still want to talk about it because I've got a lot to say and there's some pretty great stuff in this. Right off the bat, I am an extremely huge From Software fan. I've played Dark Souls 1, Dark Souls 3, Bloodborne, Sekiro. Um, I didn't play Demon's Souls and I also didn't play Dark Souls 2, although I will, probably. But all the games that I've played, I absolutely adored. They were all super amazing and unique. And yeah, From Software just makes pretty amazing games. And obviously I was super hyped for Elden Ring to come out. And well, now it's finally here. For the YouTube viewers, all the footage that you'll be seeing in this episode um, is of my own playthrough of the game. I went into this game completely blind. The only content I've ever seen of Elden Ring was the very first um, E3 trailer that came out, I think, about two years ago and the rest was completely new to me so yeah I just made sure that I went in completely blind no spoilers nothing and for this playthrough I chose the warrior class now before we get into all the nitty-gritty and all the little details and stuff and go through the game linearly I first want to point out some general thoughts I have about the game first things first the Elden Ring title screen is freaking amazing the goosebumps I got when the music kicked in. It was so great. I'm sure a lot of From Software veterans had the same feeling. And the title music is just so great. It hypes you up so much for the game. And I don't know, the, the percussion, the strings, the huge orchestra, the fast-paced nature of the song, it's, it's all freaking truly great. It's super awesome. And I want to point out the two notes that get played. The like, dum, dum, the notes from Grin's theme. Yeah, they are actually part of this song. It kind of symbolizes an end to the Dark Souls era and yeah, then obviously after these two notes, the Elden Ring theme truly hits you and yeah, it's the start of a new era for From Software and for us as well. Um, yeah, the gameplay is very strong. The player movement feels super responsive and is very fluid. The jump mechanic is one of the best additions that they could have made to their typical player moveset. This jump gave them so much more freedom in designing and constructing specific sections of a location that are supposed to be discoverable and accessible, because that way they had much more options in focus a bit more on the aesthetic part rather than on the function part per se. Because in their other games, like Dark Souls and Bloodborne, you can't really explore anything that isn't clearly supposed to be accessed. And due to the limited player movement, they had to be very careful in designing locations to make them 100% walkable. Of course they also did that for Elden Ring, but now they had much more possibilities to maybe have a platform be a bit higher than usual, 
they didn't have to construct a super deliberate pathway leading to every single accessible spot in the game. Plus, jumping just feels so good. And in such a huge open world, the more movement freedom, the better. This also goes for the steed torrent that you can use to travel far distances across the map. This is so much fun. It's awesome to ride through some large open field while gazing at the epic towers in the distance and the clouds. It's so cool. And you can even use torrent in fights with normal enemies and also in some boss fights. Although, there's one thing I don't really enjoy all that much. Are these tornado thingies across the map for you to jump on when you're currently riding torrent? They function a bit like a shortcut and it's the strongest instance for me of gamification in Elden Ring's world so far. These like jumping portals or jumping tornadoes feel like they don't actually belong in this world, but I just added on top of it. They are only functional in being very convenient for a tarnished with a steed to use as a shortcut, but I just cannot accept them as an intrinsic component of the lands between themselves. And that's why I mostly try to avoid them when riding through the world, because every time I use them and shoot up like 100 feet in the air, it kind of throws me off a bit and weakens the immersion. In terms of freedom, I think it was a great idea to have the stamina only be affected when you actually enter a fight with an enemy. It just makes much more sense that way. And on that note, just like in Sekiro, the game clearly separates its calm moments and moments of fighting slash danger. I think this is great, because you can reside and linger in this beautiful and impressive open world. And as long as the music doesn't change to a battle theme, you can just chill out. This line between safety and danger is very blurry and basically non-existent in the Dark Souls games. But I wouldn't actually say that this is a bad thing for these games. I just really enjoy how Elden Ring handles it. Now, looking at the map, it's fucking gigantic. It's pretty insane how much content there is. And I haven't even discovered the entirety of it. But it's still mind-blowing. It's so much content and it's, it's just great. It's, it even gets me hyped up right now to explore a bit further. Also, looking at the lands between, I adore the entire concept and overall aesthetic. You're traveling through these mystical, abstract locations that, depending on where you are, change like hemispheres and the sky looks totally different and the vibe is totally different. It's just these few pieces kind of thrown together. The lands between in general don't really seem like a place that should exist. And I think that's perfect for, I guess, the lore of the shattered Elden Ring and therefore the world is kind of in chaos and just it's a super abstract world and there's so much like there's so much crazy stuff in it it's it's truly great the fact that you can travel to any visited site of grace from almost any point on the map is something that most likely will never sit right with me i get why from software implemented that because it helps to navigate and travel around this huge map much faster and it's just way more convenient like can you imagine how painful it would be if you had to do it like in the first Dark Souls? Traveling through the entire map without having any opportunity to fast travel. At any point. This would be horrible. So yeah, they obviously had to create some form of fast travel. But again, here comes that aspect of gamification damaging the immersion into the game. Why do you have to be able to teleport to any side of grace from almost any location that you are? This doesn't really make a lot of sense. This super arbitrary and convenient teleportation ability gamifies the worlds in a way that I don't like at all. I cannot think of an in-universe explanation for why every tarnished that can see and interact with the sides of grace can just straight up teleport around the lands between whenever and wherever he wants to. 
I think the much, much better option would have been to make it like in Dark Souls 3, where you have to rest at a bonfire, or in this case, a side of grace, in order to access the travel option. It just feels much more organic and natural. And it doesn't make you seem like a god that can basically just teleport across the map wherever he is. I understand the incentive for this quick travel option. In order for From Software to really grow and expand as a game developer, they had to include some elements that catered a bit more towards the general gaming community. None of their previous games had this much of a public boom, and it's their most successful game yet. I am pretty sure that at least some of the decisions they made in terms of game design was catered more towards a general audience. And I think that this extremely, even ridiculously convenient fast travel was part of that. I of course can't prove that, but stuff like this is just inevitable, and we are going to lose some of the more niche and unique components that made up previous From Software games. Which is fine. I actually think they've done an excellent job at staying to their core principles and unique characteristics that make their game so amazing. This fast travel is just another one of these things that kinda take you out of the game a tad bit. Cause it's just too convenient. You know, From's games have always leaned towards delayed rather than instant gratification. And this fast travel kinda skews that principle a bit. So what else do we got? I really enjoy all the different NPCs you come across. They are very distinct from one another, both in design and attitude. They make the lands between feel very populated. It's just so great getting a From Software game that has such a vital and vibrant world with such vital and vibrant people in it. The open world aspect is such a nice breath of fresh air compared to the much more linear approach of From's previous games. I'm pretty sure almost everyone loves the freedom that this game provides when it comes to exploring the world and progressing through the game at your own pace and in your own unique way. It's awesome stuff. I have to say though, during my first few hours of playtime, I did experience some hard frame stuttering at certain parts, which was very annoying. And strangely, this also didn't get any better once I turned on the graphic settings. So, now let's get into the specifics, starting with the game's opening cinematic. I think it's really, really well put together. All the paintings that tell the tale of the consequences due to the shattering of the Elden Ring are very different from the other games. It creates the sense of a very large and interconnected world, with many powerful and mighty players living in it. The music in this first cutscene is also super cool. At points, it did kind of remind me of German's soundtrack, which is one of my favorite soundtracks of all time, basically. Given what I've seen so far from the game, I don't understand everything in terms of lore um, the cinematic is showing, but I'm incredibly hyped to get further into the game because of all these amazing images. The narrator also does a pretty good job. The overall presentation is just top-notch. It's a great start to the game, and it does an awesome job at hyping you up even more. Talking about the world building, I'm so glad that Elden Ring takes place during a time in its world where, sure, everything is slowly going to shit, and there's a lot of chaos, but the conflict and the chaos is still ongoing. If you compare this to the Dark Souls series, you're wandering through a hopeless world that is at the brim of total collapse. There's almost no hope to be found. And in all Dark Souls games, especially 1 and 3, because those are the ones that I've played, the central theme is basically death and the end of the Age of Fire. Only a few people are left, and very few of these people still have hope. And your role in this cold, dying world is not that clear at all. Yes, you do go on a path and finally decide the fate of the world, however, at this point, it barely makes any difference. Whereas in Elden Ring, you as a Tarnished are born at a point in time in the world where there's actually still hope and a lot of life to be found. The grasses are green, the map is filled with animals and so many different creatures, 
and all the interactions you have with the various NPCs have a much more optimistic and flourishing quality to them. Compared to Dark Souls, this world still feels like it can return to a more stable and hopeful state, despite all the chaos and the big war that has vastly destabilized it. You feel like you can truly make a strong impact in this world. And yes, Elden Ring's world is still very tragic, and much of it is still filled with rot and death, but compared to the full-on apocalyptic nature of Dark Souls, Elden Ring's world is still in the early stages of collapse, and you as the player can actually make a big change within this world, and for the many many people and entities living in it. I think this was an excellent decision on From Software's part, because it would have been a bit boring to have the same old, super depressing and lifeless vibe Dark Souls is known for in Elden Ring. I'm not saying that one is particularly superior over the other, it's just a much appreciated change of feel and overall atmosphere that I'm very happy with. And interestingly, this even improves some of the aspects that Elden Ring copied from Dark Souls, like the bloodstains and the messages left by other players. Because the entire world feels so much more vibrant and alive, to me it makes much more sense in-universe that there are many other tarnished traveling on their own path and leaving their marks behind in your world. I haven't done any multiplayer stuff yet, but given that aspect, I feel very confident that the PvP and co-op boss fights will feel much more lore accurate and fitting in a sense. Unlike in Dark Souls, in which it always felt a bit outer-worldly to interact with many other players, because the world was just so lonely and cold. As a result of the lonely and lifeless vibes of Dark Souls, all these interactions with other players felt much more separated from the main game. It's almost like the games have a campaign mode and then the multiplayer mode that feel very different from one another, but take place in the same exact places. But in the much more vital and populated world of Elden Ring, this line is much more blurry, at least to me. And this goes back to the entire element of gamification and stuff. I truly feel that some aspects of the game mechanics feel much more cohesive with the lore and the world of Elden Ring, which is pretty freaking interesting. And I also feel that, even if it's just subconsciously, this makes Elden Ring a much more longer lasting game in terms of player base and the multiplayer. Aside obviously from it being such a huge game with a gigantic open world and just so much content. However, now I need to talk about the biggest issue I have with this game as of right now, which is the tutorial. You start off in this weird church that is just put onto a relatively small part of land high up in the air that's also completely separated from the rest of the map, I think. There's actually some good stuff here, like the view, the scenery of the earth tree and the clouds is super awesome. And the Chapel of Anticipation, which is this very first location, does look pretty great. I especially admire the wind that's present in this. It's a very fine detail, but it goes a long way to making the whole place look much more epic. And then we get to this very first boss, which is one of these creepy puppet things with the multiple arms and legs. They're called Crafted Skyons, and the first thing I thought when I saw this boss was, huh. This reminds me of that one creepy spider doll cyborg from Toy Story. And indeed, they do seem a bit similar, I think. Yeah, the boss looks very awesome, the arena you fight him in does too. If you look around, you can see that the trees are very strongly bent to the right because of the strong wind present in this area. And there also is this large statue of Queen Marika, which looks very cool. So far for the positives, now it gets a bit weird. When the boss dropped down and screamed at me, as hyped as I was, I was super down to destroy this guy. And as you can maybe see in the footage, I got completely wrecked. And then the game awkwardly cuts to black. 
and then we wake up in this stone cave to start the actual tutorial. This already feels very wrong. The way you transition from this super epic first area, fighting a very cool boss, to that underground place, completely kills the momentum and the energy that you build up in the Chapel of Anticipation. Huh, that's actually funny. It's even in the name. Yeah, the transition is very abrupt. Like the boss music just straight up stops, and we go to a totally different location with a much calmer atmosphere. At this point, I already felt a bit puzzled as to what what I just saw even meant. Were we just somehow brought here by someone? How the hell did we get down here? What happened between us fighting the boss and you waking up here? I think they could have done a much better job at handling all of that, to make it seem less random and disconnected. Honestly guys, did any one of you not feel even just a bit lost and confused when that transition was happening? It's super weird to me. So here we pick up our two flasks and now we get to the tutorial cave. We activate the first side of grace and then kill these weak hollow enemies. The instructions on fighting and all the other stuff is fine. I don't have any particular issue with all of that stuff. But then we get a bit further into the cave and there's one part with some bushes, plants and even some trees. This feels pretty out of place in this cave and the fog also doesn't help. I'm pretty sure you understand what I mean. This entire spot feels very artificially placed into the cave, just so we can pick up our first berries. Plus, you now encounter some of these Godric soldiers, which also feels highly out of place. Seconds ago, we fought some hollow zombie creatures, and now you have these guys just chilling out in this weird cave, shooting at you with crossbows and fighting you with swords, shields and spears. And after walking through a more normal looking part of the cave, you know, stone and stuff, we again get to a spot full of extremely green bushes. This is just very odd. Why would this cave have these super randomly fertile spots filled with bushes and plants that are also very clearly separated from the rest of the cave, which is just cold stone with no plants whatsoever? This second green spot is only here so the player can try to sneak through all of the very conveniently dense bushes to then sneak up on the enemies. So far, I must say that this tutorial doesn't feel very natural. The cave isn't at all trying to hide the fact that it very clearly functions as a tutorial for the game's main mechanics. And therefore, it ends up being highly artificial rather than an actual part of the game's world that the player fights their way through. But we're not done yet, unfortunately. So you go through the fog wall and then you fight another one of these regular Godric soldiers as a sort of mini-boss. He's pretty easy to beat. He does the same attacks as the normal soldiers, just with a bigger health bar. At this point, I was very doubtful as to what the game was doing. This is by far the worst boss in the game, if you can even call it that. I know it only functions as a tutorial, but I couldn't help but feel completely disconnected from the game right from the get-go. This entire cave level is super strange to me. There is very little sense of continuity or connectedness to the following part of the cave. Again, why would Godric soldiers just randomly hang out in this underground cave? Huh. I just realized that almost all my issues with Elden Ring are elements that tend more towards gamification rather than immersion. And this is a large general issue I notice in most games. I'm really not a big fan of game developers making certain compromises in terms of the consistency of the world or the characters of a game simply because it's a game. Compared to the rest of the game, this tutorial clearly is not very good, because of all the reasons I just mentioned. And the fact that it's skippable does help a little bit, but then again, most people will go through the tutorial just due to the desire of exploring the game and getting to see everything. 
And the first part at the chapel, with that very clumsy and totally off-putting transition, of course is not skippable. Which... I don't know. I just cannot help but think that From Software could have done a much better job with all of this. And they absolutely should have, because this makes up the first 30 to 40 minutes of the player's experience, which is kind of a big deal. But then again, it does make the moment when you take the elevator up and step out into Limgrave, seeing this gigantic world and the beautiful scenery much more spectacular. At this moment, the game did a complete 180 on me, and I forgot all the strange stuff that came before. This view just looks way too good to be met at the game's tutorial, because everything afterwards is just so amazing. So, we're in Limgrave now, and talk to this doctor with the creepy mask, who's all bloody and stuff. He looks pretty creepy. I haven't interacted with him since that point, but I must say, I don't know if I can trust this guy. Taking a look at Limgrave itself, the environment is stellar. The golden-leafed trees, in combination with the light green grass, are very pleasing to the eye, and I think the rather weak, not overly bright or harsh colors fit this first area of the game very well. And later in the game, we obviously get much more stylized and unique locations with much more eye-popping color schemes, so it's nice not to get completely overwhelmed with the game's awesomeness and outlandishness right from the start, at least visually. And I must say, the peacefulness and calmness in most of Limgrave is very nice. At this point to me, Limgrave kind of serves as a comfort zone. There aren't that many strong or dangerous enemies, lots of trees and nature, it's simply a nice location. However, there's one thing which does create a relatively big problem. The tree sentinel, who is calmly sitting on his horse, just chilling around. He looks so good. The armor on his horse, his armor, especially his helmet, his halberd, his shield and his cape, everything about him looks so awesome. This is an amazing boss design. Not only that, but his attack animations look fantastic as well. It makes fighting him extremely fun. Plus, just the name Tree Sentinel. It sounds so cool, man. And I tried fighting him a few times right then and there, even though at this point I was way too weak to have a good chance. And it was still a lot of fun, even though I was barely doing any significant damage. And the soundtrack is great as well. But this was the part where I encountered the first very apparent frame stuttering. It was pretty bad. Every time I walked from the first side of grace to the first church with the merchant, I got at least three noticeable stutters, and also in the whole area in general. The biggest problem this created was when fighting the tree sentinel, and I'm pretty sure I could have killed him in my first few tries if it wasn't for that awful stuttering. It was most likely actually caused by the tree sentinel, because I later went back to him, and after defeating him, the stuttering completely went away, at least in this area. But yeah, anyway, um, the tree sentinel looks fucking sick, and I really enjoyed fighting him. So what I did next is going to the church, like I said, picking up everything necessary from there, and then I went on through the woods, where a bunch of the Godric soldiers patrol. After that, I actually went a bit off-route, and entered that one dungeon pretty far to the left. So yeah, I did that, and I must say, these dungeons are kinda scary. Especially the ambient music gives you a very unnerving feeling. After that, I went to that rune place with even more of these Godric soldiers, and a Godric knight as well. Before clearing that whole spot, I went to the side of Grace, right before the entrance up to Stormhill, talked to Melina, got access to Torrent, and then I completely obliterated all of these guys. Also, I think these Godric soldiers are very generic. Their design is pretty basic. They look like they've been taken straight out of some medieval strategy game, with the red and green color scheme of their armor, 
they are by far the most normal looking enemies in the entire game because there are just so many crazy designs it's it's pretty insane so then i went up to stormhill and fought that first troll guy and completely destroyed him these trolls are super easy to fight their attacks don't seem to have a particularly large hitbox and all their attacks are also very easy to predict even when they draw their sword the fight doesn't become that much more challenging at first i was pretty worried about it i thought of it like the second phase of an actual boss fight but i immediately noticed how easy these guys were to deal with yeah it wasn't all that difficult they look super ugly though <laughs> they're very fleshy and have an open stomach with some disturbing kind of horror inside Ugh. and they have fur too like man what a disgusting design in a good way i mean and i thought that defeating them once would eliminate them from the map entirely for some reason i really don't know why i thought that maybe because there are some enemies in the dark souls games that do not respawn when resting at a bonfire or maybe i thought of the mini bosses of sekiro that you only need to kill once and then they're gone completely but yeah this isn't the case for elden ring at least not for the majority of the enemies so next i went up storm hill and my first reaction was damn it's windy and foggy up here first i checked out that weird summoning circle on the ground with these weird and crazy one-eyed stone worm guys spread around it i was pretty hesitant to activate it and fight whatever boss was hidden in it because i saw all the bloodstains around it and thought nope not doing that so i went a bit further and accidentally awoke one of these giant golem creatures lying on the ground which look absolutely phenomenal by the way their design is so detailed and amazing with their extremely stony exterior and the amber effect and their long ass stone weapon that kind of looks like an axe although they fight in a pretty weird manner i must say it seems like they're a bit irritated they most of the time do that one attack just repeatedly stomping the ground around them like an absolute maniac but they don't seem like they are very capable i'm curious as to what they actually are in terms of lore and stuff maybe that would explain them seeming a bit lost in a way anyhow they still look extremely cool and they're so huge as well although i'd wish that fighting them would be a bit more engaging and fun but that's generally pretty hard to do with regular giant enemies this also applies to the trolls fighting them also isn't that fun in my opinion and then i went up towards stormvale castle um, on the main way and what was actually kind of funny i saw a message on the ground that said be wary of surprise attack or something like that and then i actually sneaked up on all the godric soldiers that were hiding in the bushes ready to attack anyone who might come here yeah so i just completely turned the tables on them and actually surprise attack them instead and now it's boss time baby you fight margaret the fell omen on this bridge right in front of stormway castle so you step through the gate onto the bridge and before i talk on the fight itself i briefly want to praise the intro cutscene where margaret spawns on top of one of the castle's towers jumps down and the fight begins the landing is pretty freaking cool both the extreme dust and force created by his landing and margaret's stance after the wind clears the field of vision and we can see him again very nice stylistic choices aesthetically the best looking thing about him are the many swirly horns sticking out of his head otherwise he doesn't look all that spectacular i think and now we get to the fight for him being the very first boss you encounter in the game at least you know like the main bosses he's very challenging in the first phase he mostly relies on hitting you with his staff which is a pretty large hitbox and on top some of his attacks are incredibly delayed 
to the point that I often dodged two, sometimes even three times before he actually hit me. Although most of these attacks are pretty easy to deal with once you fought him a couple of times. With the easiest one being that one where he jumps towards you and rams his staff straight into the ground. And the toughest ones being those conjure daggers he attacks you with very quickly. He also throws them at you every time you try to back off and heal, which can get incredibly annoying. Aside from that though, this first phase isn't truly all that difficult. Most of his attacks are very clearly communicated, and once I saw them a couple of times, I could react to them with relative ease. However, his second phase is much tougher in comparison, and that's solely accomplished by two specific attacks. The first one being him swinging his staff and his new huge conjure hammer in a super tight time frame one after the other, which can be very tough to dodge. And the second, also the toughest one, being that ridiculous forehead combo with the hammer and an extra conjure sword. Whenever he did that attack, I always backed off as fast as I possibly could, because there was simply no way I would be able to dodge all of his four attacks perfectly. Aside from that, the extremely easy attack in the first phase is now replaced with an exaggerated version, where he jumps up way higher than before and slams down with his hammer. This attack clearly has a larger hitbox than the first one, but it's equally as easy to dodge in my opinion. I think there is a great mix between easy attacks that, when handled correctly, offer a great window to deal damage, and much more difficult and more challenging attacks. Looking at my experience with this boss, the very first try I was doing very well. Like, strangely well. Maybe it was because I was tired, but that first try was very relaxed, and I had barely any issues with the first phase. You can see in the gameplay footage, I mostly just let him do his attacks and walked around him. It's kind of funny. It seems like I just let him do his stuff and then see when I get some free hits in. However, then the second phase started and I got wrecked instantly. And then the nightmare began. After that first pretty good try, I didn't do very well against him in the next 10 to 15 tries. In my defense, I was pretty tired, so you can't count all of these tries as actual quality tries if you will, but yeah, still pretty bad on my part. However, this repeated trying and failing then finally led to my last try, which went very well. At that point, I had all his attacks strongly memorized, and I was able to beat him without much stress or struggle. And of course, I got that sweet victory rush that is so common in FromSoft's games. Just awesome. I think this fight is almost the perfect introduction. Most of Margit's attacks are very tough. It teaches new players to have patience in deciding when to dodge, and to really pay attention to a boss's animations. And the fight is all around just very fun. His attacks are all very different from one another, and there are a lot of different attacks he uses, which always keeps this fight engaging and fresh. I think his attacks, mechanically and in terms of animation, are the best part of the entire fight, much more than the design or the boss stage. However, the score is particularly brilliant. Especially the violin sticks out a lot to me. The soundtrack is just super awesome. I made sure to listen um, to the soundtrack afterwards, just focusing on the soundtrack itself. It sounds gorgeous, it's, it's a great soundtrack. Yeah, pretty awesome first boss. So after beating him, I went back to the side of Grace right before the bridge, um, in that like tunnel, tower, gateway thing, talked to Melina and got to round table hold. I talked to most of the NPCs there, of course also to that one lady named Fia, that is always like very eager to touch you. Mm. And I talked to the blacksmith, which is a very cool guy. His raspy yet strong voice is super badass, and I also like his whole attitude. He's imprisoned here, 
but he's come to terms with the fact that he can't do anything about it, so he finds meaning within his craft, even if he's forced to do it. And he also has a bit of nihilism within him. He sometimes says stuff like, doesn't matter, it's all the same. I'm not sure why, but the way he says that is just very appealing to me. I really like this guy. His design is also very unique. He looks like he has some sort of illness, with flaky skin and these horns growing out of his body. Yeah. So that's Roundtable Hold for the time being. So before moving on to Stormvale Castle, I went a bit off-road and took the alternative path around the castle to Larnia of the Lakes. And dear god, what a gorgeous view. This is the thumbnail of so many YouTube videos on Elden Ring for a very good reason. The sheer size and scale of everything you can see from that one spot and the blue tinted fog with the glowing earth trees and the mountains emerging out of the bright fog. It's so freaking fantastic. It looks so great. So then I went to the Church of Irith and talked to that odd sorcerer fellow who's a bit depressed it seems and doesn't think very highly of himself. So then I went a bit further down the path and ended up at that one merchant guy at the lake and then I went even further and I explored and explored and explored and somehow I ended up in the village of the Albanorix. And I gotta say, this is a scary fucking place. The way the enemies attack you and their design would also fit very well into Bloodborne. And even worse, everywhere you look, there are hanging corpses of the Albanorix. And after fighting that extremely difficult pyromancer enemy and talking to that one guy that then dies shortly after, I decided to just leave this place for now. There's a lot I haven't seen of this place, but I guess I just wasn't in the mood to go any further. Maybe also because of that very strong pyro guy. But from what I've seen so far of this village, I really want to go back and see what happened here. The concept of a very distant, small and lonely village that somehow encountered some extremely evil and tragic fate is something I really enjoy. The mystery surrounding places like this village, for example, is so ominous to me. I really appreciate that they also included some more creepy and eerie locations. I can't wait to go back to that place once I've explored the entire map a bit more. I didn't explore the map of Leornia any further. I know that there's so much more to see, but I just left it for now. And then again, went to Roundtable Holds and chatted with the NPCs. And I got this super cool skeleton armor, which I'm still wearing in-game as of the time of this recording. It looks very awesome. And now we get to the really good stuff we get to Stormvale Castle. And right off the bat, this castle looks absolutely incredible. The thing that sticks out the most to me are the super detailed golden spires of its many towers. They look fantastic. And this is amplified even further by the stark color contrast of the golds and the gray of the rest of the castle made out of stone. All these many towers, some bigger, some smaller, come together and create a gorgeous complete picture. Their arrangement across the entire castle is so well done and makes for an absolutely incredible view. On top of that, the facade of all the towers is also very detailed and nice to look at. All the detail of the castle's exterior gives off a sense of extreme intricacy and depth. It's excellent. And it is fucking huge. There are so many rooms, corridors and open spots to explore. And thanks to the new added jump move, you can almost examine every niche and corner of the entire castle. It has such a strong presence. Stormvale Castle is partially destroyed. There are tiny pieces missing from the towers and the overall exterior, but I think this is perfect. In a weird way, these imperfections make it even more glorious and imposing. 
it makes the entire castle feel much more real and authentic in a sense. Because it would be a bit strange if it were in tip-top shape without any damage done to it. It would look too refined, I think. And the grey, cloudy sky, and all the birds and crows you can see in the distance flying off and landing on the towers perfectly complete this incredible aesthetic. Especially the sight when looking at it from the front and staring up these gigantic towers. It towers over you with such a potent aura. Phenomenal work by the designers. Truly phenomenal work. And while making your way through the castle, you'll see some strange holes and thorn plants at various corners and spots that seem to slowly almost devour the castle. It's like Stormvale Castle has been infected by some evil virus that is gradually destroying it from the inside. And this is hinted at in the item description of some of the enemy's weapons. That there has been some kind of curse or rot that has infected the castle. Yeah, I absolutely love the design of Stormbay Castle. It is the most impressive location that I've played through so far. What's more, the epic and amazing aesthetics also correspond with the gameplay, which is highly engaging due to the fantastic level design. To me it was so much fun to fight my way through Stormvale Castle. So let's continue with just that, the level design and the gameplay. Right from the start, you meet that one NPC who suggests that you take a hidden path to enter the castle instead of the main gate. And I didn't even think twice about this. Taking one look at the gate, I was already sure that I wouldn't do that. So I took the other path, which includes a lot of narrow pathways and constant progression upwards. Here you also meet these terribly annoying birds with blades on their feet, who can be very tough to fight, and you constantly keep moving up and up. Plus, you have a lot of different items placed at specific locations, which for a Souls veteran obviously means that you definitely have to get these items, no matter what. And again, because of the new jump move, the player is able to access so much more parts of a location, just like with this castle. Going a bit further, you get inside the castle and encounter some very weak enemies, while you keep working your way up and up and up. And then you have that one completely dark room with an item inside, that, when you enter it, gets shut from behind, most likely from that guy at the entrance. And then there's this Stormvale Knight, who most likely will destroy you, which he also did to me, I must admit. However, being the stubborn boy that I am, I immediately went back to that room and killed that knight at my second try. If you want to even count the first encounter. Which I guess you should. So yeah, after that you continue to go up until you get to the first side of grace. And now you have many options to explore the castle by either choosing the linear path or going up the staircase and exploring the rooftops of the castle, which I decided to do first. Let me just say, everything up until this point has been pretty great. Lots of opportunities to indulge in your need to explore many alternative and optional pathways and sections, the constant path towards reaching the castle, going upwards with almost every step you take, it's some pretty good stuff. There's actually a great, like, 10 minute YouTube video by The Escapist, which describes and analyzes the core design principles of this hidden path of Stormvale Castle very well, and explains how it introduces new players to the later sections of the castle. It's pretty interesting stuff. I think you should give it a watch sometime. So, moving on. Like I said, I took the exploration path up the stairs and onto the rooftops. And having never had this kind of movement freedom before when it comes to exploration, jumping across the different towers was super fun. And as I was exploring the castle, I always had that thought pop up in my mind of hey, I think I can get to that place. Which is so cool and made me even more keen to explore the castle further and further. 
Once I got deeper into the heart of the castle, fighting many Stormvale knights and other Stormvale soldiers, and of course these annoying fucking birds, I just started liking it more and more. I also highly appreciate that the knight's moveset, apart from their special attacks, is almost identical to the silver and black knights of Dark Souls. It's so awesome that From Software rewards its veterans in that way. I personally had a very easy time with all the knights due to that exact familiarity, and I explored everything in the entire castle, except for killing the grafted scorpion deep within the castle, yeah, because fuck that guy, and the entire main path into the castle, which I definitely will be doing in the future. Oh, there's also that one small spot with all these cute little pod creatures, or these um, warrior jars, and that one big mama warrior jar that surprise attacks you. When I first got to that place, I was just delighted to see these adorable guys um, just walking around, and then they started attacking me out of nowhere. I didn't even do anything to them. So mean. Yeah, what else is there to say? Except that Stormvale Castle is freaking incredible, both in level design and pure aesthetics and atmosphere. Again, great fucking job from software. And now we get to the end of Stormvale Castle, which means it's boss time. Godric the Grafted. Another very awesome boss in my eyes. Starting with the intro cutscene, it's pretty great. The two coolest things about it is the moment when he turns towards you and under his like coat or whatever, all his arms appear. That shot just looks super great. Awesome cinematography. And the way he drags his golden axe across the ground is also very well done. Plus, of course, the final shot of him with his two axes on the right and his many, many arms sticking out of his completely disproportionate body. The boss stage also looks super epic, with the corpse of the dragon, the yellow slash golden flowers on the ground, the dead trees and all the gravestones. It looks great. Especially the flowers and the trees remind me a bit of the German fight in Bloodborne. Now, let's get to the really good stuff, the boss design. I mean, come on, this is some next level creature design. I love the way Godric is that horrific abomination hulking over the player character. He's also holding two axes on his right, which he attacks you with. His two main upper limbs, I don't even want to call them arms, are extremely deformed and overproportionately long and huge compared to his head, torso and legs. He looks absolutely crazy. I don't even want to think about how disgusting he looks without clothes. His voice actor also does a phenomenal job in making this guy even more insane. Especially his laughter and screams are very well done. Looking at the fight, Godric has an enormous range with most of his attacks. And almost all of them are very nice to look at. The attack animations of him swinging and slashing his two axes around just look awesome. And there's a large variety of attacks he uses, ranging from close to medium to high to extremely high range. What comes to mind are three attacks in particular, being one where he swings with both of his arms, making it pretty hard to dodge both of them successfully. The range of these attacks is also pretty large. Even if you stand right beside him, his arm will easily hit you. The second attack is the one where he creates this mini tornado and depending on your distance to him, either rolls on the ground and then jumps into the air before slamming his axe down at you, or if you are further away, he'll shoot some wind bursts at you from a distance. And my personal favorite attack of his, the super fast wombo combo with that ridiculous range, especially the final hit. I mean, goddamn. Then we get to the second phase, and well, this cutscene is pretty intense. 
His painful and raging screams, coupled with the gory and disturbing imagery of him chopping off part of his left arm and fusing the wound with the head of the dead dragon, it's absolutely insane and I love it. And again, that final shot of him sticking his new dragon head arm in the air, shooting fire out of it. Holy crap. However, the second phase is clearly easier than the first one. Godric now uses this dragon head very often to shoot fire at the player. And all of these attacks take a relatively long time to finish, which leaves a lot of room for dealing free damage to him without really having to worry about getting hit, as long as you stay out of the fire's hit range. This of course doesn't work with every attack. For example, there's one where he creates a volcano-like fire burst that you'll have to run away from and distance yourself, and he sometimes uses the dragon head for attacks similar to the first phase like regular slashes and stuff, but he doesn't maneuver around as much as previously, making it much easier to be a bit more risky without having to worry about him repeatedly attacking you as much. There's also that grab attack, which can be fatal in some cases, but I personally thought that it would deal way more damage than it ended up dealing, at least to my character. When I fought Godric the first three times, I was very clearly underleveled. I dealt minimal damage and soon realized that this was going nowhere. So I explored the map for some time and then got back to him. I managed to beat him in 5 tries in total and only got to the second phase on my very last try. This is a very great fight. It's not as great as Margaret the Fellowman though. The aspects in which Godric is superior to Margaret are his design, his voice, his attack animations, the boss stage and the cutscenes. So he stomps Margaret in almost every aspect except for the challenge and the score. And I'd argue that the challenging aspect is pretty much the key component to a great boss fight. Aside from, of course, you know, at least some form of great design and score and boss stage and all that stuff. That's, of course, also very important. However, the challenge is always the most important part, I think. So because of that, I personally do like Margaret a bit more. He's a much more challenging fight for sure. And yeah, I just felt much more tense when fighting him compared to Godric. And now, let's get to everything else I did in this playthrough up until now. Cause the main gameplay actually happened in that break period after my first three tries fighting Godric. At first I just explored the rest of Stormhill a bit and fought these Viking-esque warriors, who are pretty damn badass I think. Their super primal and aggressive fighting spirit is very enjoyable, and they have a shit ton of poise, which makes them quite challenging to fight, relatively speaking. I don't struggle with them all that much, but I can see new players having some issues with these meatheads. Then I went to the grey site where that one tarnished named Bernal is hanging around. This guy is great. He seems very virtuous and loyal to the arts of his sword. He speaks with a great attitude and he's also quite handsome looking with that epic armor, his grey hair and the beard. Just by talking to him you can clearly tell that he has a lot of experience in fighting. Yeah, he's a great NPC. A bit further, I then met that incredibly wholesome and funny pod guy, Alexander, who somehow got stuck in the ground, however that happened. Yeah, so I helped him out, and I was pretty worried when hitting him a couple of times that I was actually gonna kill him, but it ended up working just fine. And the talk you have with him afterwards is just so great. He's so nice and also super prideful at the same time. He sometimes thanks you and is very funny and stuff, but he also talks very highly of his journey and the tournament where he's headed. And yeah, pretty cool warrior jar. So after that, I then came across an absolute horror of a creature. There's that small, very dirty lake, and it houses a disgusting looking creature. 
I think it's called like large land octopus. It's so ugly looking. It almost solely consists of tentacles and has the shape of a ball. But then it also has a head that looks like the skull of a big bird right in the center of its body. And it attacks you with two very long tentacle arms. And all the attacks are just... Uh, I, I, I don't even want to think about it. I fought it for maybe a minute, but then I just went away because it was honestly just too disgusting and yeah, I just didn't want to deal with that. So then there's that one bridge with this blind ogre guy on it. Um, he's got like this strange looking helmet, I think it's called pumpkin helmet or something, that he seems to desperately want to get rid of. So I crossed the bridge, um, I fought him afterwards I think, and then there's this very nice merchant that is playing a very cool song on his instrument. I really appreciate small touches like these, they create a very nice vibe. Then I talked to that one NPC along the way with a very cool looking armor that's like silver and golden. He also has a very cool and calm voice um, and he's telling you not to go any further because this place is apparently haunted and stuff. And obviously, like everyone else, I continued right on that path. And I fought that very strange ghost miniboss called Tibia Mayarner, sitting in that small canoe of sorts, who keeps disappearing and reappearing in different parts of that small lake, with all those small ruins. Um, he also spawns some skeletons that you need to defeat before dealing damage to him. This boss is super easy, honestly. I got him in my first try without even any hustle or sweat. It wasn't very challenging, but it's certainly an interesting concept for a boss, so yeah, why not? I picked up everything else in that area and then arrived at the smoldering church, where you fight Anastasia, the tarnished eater, with her large-ass scissors blade weapon. And as soon as I got near that place, the music, as well as the entire lighting and the colors of the environment, abruptly changed to a much more unsettling vibe. This is a very strong atmosphere moment in the game. I think it's brilliant, actually. All of a sudden, the entire setting has changed its mood and is now reeking of death and animosity. The grass is dry and dead, the sky has this bloody red tint to it, and the music is just super unsettling. When I witnessed this atmosphere for the first time, I was petrified for like a full minute, just processing that totally unexpected change in ambience. This is such an effective and powerful moment. And in truth, nothing special is actually happening. It's just that change in atmosphere that makes arriving near the smoldering church so memorable to me. And this is of course then followed by the player fighting Anastasia the Tarnished Eater. Which is such a badass name by the way. Yeah, this fight is pretty tough actually. She doesn't use a whole lot of different attacks. However, the attacks she does use are incredibly dangerous. And it's best to just keep your distance and wait for an opening to get one or two hits in and then back off again and do this over and over. Even though this bitch is challenging, she only took me two tries in total, because I quickly managed to figure out a pretty safe way of fighting her. I mostly waited for her to do that one jumping attack, which I would normal dodge and then counter attack. And as you can tell by the gameplay footage, this actually worked quite well. So then I continued on that path and decided to take the left route, which leads to that one Erdtree avatar, which at this point was way, way too strong for me to fight. I tried him once and he absolutely wrecked me, so I then decided to take the main route more towards the right, and this is where it gets super scary. The sky is now completely drenched in what seems like lava almost, and everything around you is just pure death, and nothing but death. All the trees are dead, 
there are these super strange looking zombie creatures walking around everywhere. You can see these disturbing looking giant crows in the distance with horrifying looking teeth and giant heads. And everywhere you go, the ground looks like a fucking tennis field. Funny enough, my dumbass somehow managed to fall off that wooden platform right where the side of grace is, right into the field where all of these crows were chilling out. And of course one of these fuckers came rushing at me and I almost killed him, but he got me at the end. And yeah, after that I was like, okay, I am not going back to this place anytime soon. And so far, I haven't, because it's scary, it's evil, I don't like being there. Although I must say, this type of stuff is exactly what I love. Horrible monstrosities, death everywhere, a very evil and creepy atmosphere. In truth, I cannot wait to go back to that place and see how crazy and dark it gets eventually. It's just that I'm simply not strong enough to go there yet. But I will at some point, and I'm sure it will be sick AF. Then I returned to Limgrave and started to explore the eastern part of it, which for some reason I completely glanced over before. And then I went to that one sending gate that the NPC with the cool, calm voice and the golden and silver armor from earlier told me about, after killing the skeleton mini-boss. And then I ended up at Greyworld's Dragon Barrow. So yeah, I went exactly where I didn't want to go. I immediately realized that I was wrong here, so I looked around a bit, and then I decided to try and kill Blackblade Kindred, which killed me in one hit. So yeah. Anyway, going back to Limgrave. I picked up everything in that small forest with the gigantic beers and these ape warrior dudes that are kind of freaky. Nothing too special here, except that one building in the middle of the forest. So I entered it and took that magical blue platform lift down. And as I was standing on it, I started to think, man, this is taking quite a while. Where am I actually going? And as I was standing on it, waiting for it to stop, I just casually slowly span my camera around and somehow... I perfectly turned the camera forward at the exact moment that the location you're heading towards is revealed. And oh my, that view, it's amazing. The pink lighting in the distance, giving the buildings and walls a strong silhouette look, plus the great music, Elden Ring just cannot resist but to keep blowing my mind over and over again with all of its beautiful sceneries and all around just super device open world. So then the lift stopped and I arrived at Siofra River. Siofra River? Siofra River? Whatever. But I didn't stay very long or explore this place in any notable detail. I just did everything that I could um, until trying to fight the first enemy in the area and well, they were way too strong so I got back up and continued to go around East Limgrave. I then got to the waypoint ruins and fought those poison plants for the first time, who are pretty annoying. I went down the small dungeon and absolutely destroyed the mad pumpkinhead miniboss. I spoke to that sorcerer NPC lady and then moved on. The NPC's design is pretty goofy. She's wearing some like blue purple dress and that strange stone statue hat on her head. Don't know what that's all about, but at least it looks interesting. I gotta say though, these mini dungeons with like one room feel a bit strange. Sometimes you fight some miniboss down there or sometimes just regular enemies. And then you get to another room with a chest or an NPC to talk to. I don't see this having any tangible place within the game's world. I think it's supposed to be a bit similar to the chalice dungeons of Bloodborne, but it's within the actual world itself. I don't know. Every time I enter one of these dungeons, I feel a bit less immersed in the game. It doesn't feel right to me. Then I went south and got to the dragonburned ruins. 
I stealth killed all of these zombie guys, more or less, and you might know what happens next. I started running towards that large fire a bit further away, and then the dragon egg heel crushed down on it, and well, I didn't plan for it, but I fought him with torrent. And my god, was that an awesome fight. Having him rush and fly around the entire lake while riding torrent around him is so freaking cool. I love the fact that this fight is so dynamic and exciting, the player and the dragon have so much room to move around, and the fight perfectly utilizes all of that space. Akil regularly jumps far away, or starts flying up into the air, and then flying towards the player while spitting fire. He stomps at you, smacks you with his tail, it is such an epic fight. And he does so many different attacks as well. It's a spectacular battle, and so much different from anything we've seen from software do in the past. The only thing I have a relatively big issue with were two separate times where Akil ran too far away from his original spawn point and then just disappeared into thin air right during the fight. That was pretty stupid. I guess there was no actual way to work around that a bit better. Maybe give him a set radius to move around, and whenever he gets to the limit, he starts again moving closer to the center or something, just so that you can avoid him disappearing and reappearing in the middle of the lake, which kills the groove and the flow of the fight pretty hard in my opinion. Both times when he disappeared, it looked way too goofy and out of place to me. But otherwise, this is a freaking amazing boss fight. And I got him on my first try as well. Although I don't know how well I would have done without the help of Torrent. I think he made this fight much easier. But unfortunately, I can't go back and try the fight again. Oh well. So next, I found that one hidden ape NPC, who you can't see at first, and who is super shy and soft-spoken. Pretty cute guy. He even wants to look for a way to show you his gratitude for freeing him from the spell. Then I got to a small bridge with a boss on it, called Knight's Cavalry, and I tried fighting him, but it didn't work out that well. I got destroyed pretty hard, and when I went back here to look for the guy, I couldn't find him anymore, so I just left it. But this boss has an awesome design. He kinda looks like one of the four horsemen of hell, with his horse completely coated in black cloth, and his design is also great, especially his helmet and his halberd. What an edgelord. And he actually has the same moveset as the tree sentinel, which is obviously awesome as well, because I love that fight. Next, I went to that small castle fortite and did everything there, and at the top, I was very happy to obtain the bloody slash ash of war, because personally, I am a huge fan of bloodlust builds. And ever since I started the game, I was constantly looking for some way to make some kind of bloodlust build, and now I could finally do it. And then I went further down south to Peninsula, and did some stuff around there. I actually didn't step one foot out of it until I did everything I could in that entire part of the map. So I had a pretty completionist approach to Peninsula. And when I went a bit further, to the much more open space of the map, I came across the Deathbird miniboss, who looks absolutely abhorrent, with his super slim and long limbs, that overly long and snaky neck, and that ugly huge skull head. Yeah, so I lost the fight, unfortunately. But the weird part about that was, when I came back to fight him again, the dude was just gone. He was nowhere to be found. So I just said screw it and after looking around that very weird lake towards the left, that is like poisonous and stuff, I killed that giant archer golem, who was much easier to fight than I was expecting. And so I got to Castle Morn, which seems to have been invaded by the so-called Misbegotten, which are these chicken creatures with lifeless faces and super wide smiles wielding an iron cleaver, and to fight you in a very, like, clumsy and aggressive manner. 
When first going up with the lift and entering the castle, the sight you see is pretty tragic. The misbegotten are celebrating their brutal victory over the people that lived here and tried to defend their castle from these monsters. The castle's skyline is filled with hanged corpses, and what's easily the most horrible thing about this is the giant hill of corpses, with some of the misbegotten standing and celebrating on it, right in the first part of the castle. This did hit me quite strongly, seeing all that death and suffering in one place. So I fought my way through the castle, and there's actually a section where there are still some foot and godric soldiers left, fighting these creatures. And I wanted to help them out, however, they unfortunately attacked me as well, so I reluctantly had to kill them. There's also the bigger and stronger version of the Misbegotten, and they are somewhat challenging, mainly because of their large health bar and their huge damage output, but I could handle them pretty well, and only died one time while going through the entire castle. I dropped down further and further until I got to the very end of the castle, and beyond. And at the end, you fight Leonine Misbegotten, which is some sort of mystical humanoid lion creature. He looks like a beast out of Greek mythology. I think his red mane looks especially cool, and the fight itself is pretty freaking intense. Leonine is extremely aggressive and fast with his moves. He doesn't have a lot of health, but because he moves so fast, this fight can be quite challenging. It certainly was for me. All the swing attacks have a ridiculous range, and he just doesn't stop moving and jumping around, while attacking you with a plethora of incredibly fast attacks. However, once you do have experienced these attacks a couple of times, he's actually pretty easy to deal with. The main reason why it's a hard fight is his super aggressive fighting method, which makes it hard to even try and read his attacks and moves with much concentration. There's just no time to focus on that, when you're constantly being bombarded with so many combos and large range sword attacks. This guy took me 4 tries in total. The first one, similar to Margit the Fell, was actually pretty decent. The next ones were awful, both times I died in about 15 seconds, but the last one went pretty well and I managed to beat him without much effort. This fight is pretty cool I think. It's very different from all the other bosses I've fought so far, and I also really like the boss stage of this one. You've got that nice infinite ocean in the background, and a very large dead tree with many small and one huge gravestone, plus the fact that it's raining and the water surrounding the boss area, great stuff. Right after that, I did a complete idiot move and killed myself through fall damage, losing all of the runes I got from the boss fight. And what was even better, I died at a spot where it was almost impossible to retrieve them. And that's why I didn't. The runes were only worth one upgrade at this point, so I really didn't care that much. But you know, it's still one upgrade that was lost because of my idiosity. Then I went to the Tombsward ruins and completed the dungeon room there with just two of these cape guys in them. Okay, I mean, whatever. Kind of kind of weird. And then I went up to that awesome looking huge stone creature with four legs and a building on top of it. Man, what a cool concept. This thing looks so freaking unique. And what makes this even cooler is the bell that goes off that you can hear in a very large radius. And the vibes. Just the vibes are so awesome. You also have these ghost knights walking around that can get pretty annoying to fight, although they do go down in a couple of hits. So what I did next was going up the so-called Tower of Return, and at the top there was a chest. I opened it, and some strange fog was coming out of it. At first I was very hesitant, but then I just decided to go for it, and well, then I ended up in Lanedale, Royak capital, which looks so goddamn amazing. The orange-leaved trees, and the statues, plus the grandiose architecture, I was baffled when I got here and started looking around. And then I tried fighting the golem that is hanging around here, 
but it was simply too strong for me. And once I respawned, I thought, hey, let's take a look at the map to see where I actually am right now. I checked, and my jaw dropped to the floor when I saw that my map had just doubled in size. This is another thing as well. Even in the early game, there were many times where the map started to extend and grow, and I was just so impressed over and over again by how huge this world is. But I didn't expect it to be that huge by any means. This was one of the most shocking moments for me while playing Elden Ring, and knowing that there's so much more to see just hypes me up even more to get back to play the game as fast as I can. So then, I checked out the entire rest of Peninsula, and when I got to the merchant, basically at the end of it, I purchased the Lost Ashes of War from him. Next, I went to the blacksmith in Roundtable Hold. Of course, I first talked to all of the new and old NPCs, duplicated the Bloody Slash Ash of War, and then I put it on both of my scimitars. And now, I finally can inflict bleed damage on the enemies, which is super cool. And then, I went back to Stormvale Castle to beat Godric with my new bleed build. And after defeating him, I felt like I wanted to explore Lyurnia a bit more because it basically comes directly after Stormvale Castle. So I looked around a bit, fought against that one super strong skeleton guy with that great axe. I definitely was too weak for him, but I still ended up beating him and I got that great axe. So well done me. Then I went further and further across the lake and ended up in a dungeon called Stillwater Cave. It's not that big of a dungeon. I fought against those weird fungus wizard guys. And at the end, there was a mini boss battle with a pretty cool looking knight. His armor looks very similar to the one lady from the Elden Ring trailer with that mechanical arm. And you can probably tell simply by the fact that I don't know her name or anything else about her that I really avoided any kinds of spoilers for this game. And I still do, because I don't want my experience tainted in any significant way. I'm very careful with that kind of stuff. So yeah, the fight with the so-called clean rot knight wasn't all that hard. I think I was just a bit too strong for this fight, which so far has very rarely happened to me in this game. But I really love that knight's armor design. He looks incredibly cool, especially his helmet and his red damaged cape. It's great. Not sure what he's doing down here though. You know, with all these poison plants and weird creatures in this cave. What is he here for exactly? Well, I guess I won't get an answer to that. But still, he feels very out of place in here. So. That was actually the last notable thing I did in my first playthrough so far. And I'm pretty sure I'll start playing the game again in a few days. Especially after recording this episode. Cause now I'm just even more amped up to spend more time in the lands between. That's it for my experience with Elden Ring so far. As you can probably tell, I am really really enjoying this game. I think it brings so much to the table. Not everything is super airtight, especially everything concerning gamification and the stuff that notably decreased my immersion in the game's world. Cough cough, the tutorial, cough cough. But the world itself is so huge and gorgeous, it truly kicks the exploration aspect to a whole nother level. Almost every boss I've encountered so far has been great as well, except for the mini-bosses in the dungeons, and of course, the first mini-boss in the tutorial. I cannot wait to continue playing this game. From Software truly outdid themselves in so many aspects. And it's so nice to see that they're gaining much more of a public appeal with Elden Ring. I'd love for you guys to talk about your own experience in the comments. I think you should avoid spoilers, or at least qualify them beforehand, because I really don't want to be spoiled on this game at all. I have a very strict no-spoiler policy for almost everything I consume. And I'll be making some more of these episodes about Elden Ring as I go along in the game and 
go a bit further and further. So I'm thinking of doing one for the mid game and also one for the end game. So yeah, that's been it guys. That's been the episode on my experience with the early game of Elden Ring. I'm sure I've missed some stuff. Um, yeah, there's probably a whole lot of stuff I didn't do or I just missed. But, well, that's the great nature of From Software Games. There's always more to see. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And, yeah, I'll talk to you soon. Bye.